Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Sherry B. Hello. Good evening. My name is Sherry, and I am a compulsive overeater. I will do my best to swivel my head to and fro, because I'm a big believer in eye contact. Um, oh, just to get a little breather, I have some pictures that are going around. Um, just to get some numbers out of the way, We're all about numbers. I have been in program, it's been 11 years this month, actually. I wish I could say I have 11 years of abstinence. I do not. I have um, 39 months, so three years and three months out of a, my third relapse, um, and I'll go through all of that. And I am maintaining, for the first time ever, 160-pound weight loss. <laughs> so, and I, I always uh, keep meaning to talk about this, but I also grew an inch and a half. <laughs> so I went from 5'4 to 5'5 five, five and a half. <laughs> How about that? I, I don't see there's hope for all of us, right? <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know if it's a compression of, I, I have no idea. It's just, what I love about it is that means I get to weigh a little more because my weight range has gone up. So, um, and also with the, you know, the clothing sizes, I was pushing, you know, size 28 pair of jeans at Lane Bryan, and now, you know, a six, sometimes a four. I was thinner, um, you know, and that's been, I'll, you know, I'll go through all of that, it's, you know, part of my story. I had no idea that being almost 300 pounds that I was also a restrictor and a controller. You know, I am somebody who sees the world in black and white. It's either on really on or it's really way off or you know it's right or wrong it's good and bad there was no gray area at all I'm going 60 miles an hour or I'm going negative 10 you know sitting and laying like a lump on a log you know and growing up um I didn't come from an abusive household you know there was no you know, alcoholism, no, whatever. But, you know, I, I always say I complain that my family was just a smothering Jewish family. <laughs> so it was so enmeshed. And everybody's business became everybody else's. And I had a skinny brother. I was a little bit chubby, but, you know, it's not good for a girl to be chubby. And, you know, my grandmother, she lived 101, you know, bless her, the good Russian stock. And uh, she said... No granddaughter of hers is going to have any ounce of fat on her. And if you looked good, you would just see it in life. If you didn't look good, you would fail. And even when she was 99 years old, I remember this, you know, and she would always invite me over to lunch and cook, and she would dress to the nine with the red nail polish and the frosted hair and said, I can't let you think I'm slipping. 99 years old. So that's what I grew up with. You have to look good. And the fact that I didn't or that I was told that I did not just made me like the greyhound that's always going after that dangling carrot. It's never enough. My dad is deaf, and, you know, me, my brother, and my mom are hearing impaired. We never talked about it. Like this big white elephant in the room. 
and the rest of it, you know, my dad is the only deaf man in a family of hearing people, and in the 1930s, they took him on an airplane ride thinking his ears would pop. So then one doctor just said, educate him. So he had a PhD before technology from, you know, all, even Ivy League schools, all of these top-notch schools in chemistry. I can't even read his dissertation. Never heard a word. I can never work as hard as him. He will always say, in my day, when I was a child, when I did this, you know. So, again, never enough. I was a valedictorian in my high school, straight-A student, yearbook editor, tennis team. But, but why can't you just lose the weight? You have such a pretty face. Why can't you just lose the weight? Why can't you just have a slice, a sliver, a blah, 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 blah. I hated that word, just. Just say no. I didn't understand why I couldn't say no. All I knew is that food made me feel better. That's all I knew. And I always would tell you, and I don't even say a big, I just have a little food problem. I just eat the wrong things. And then I'd be like binging, you know, and eating like a frenzied, you know, chicken with no head. And primal. I don't eat, I don't bother with utensils. I don't bother with defrosting, you know, something is frozen. Who cares? Who cares if it's off the floor? Who cares if it came from the trash? I just want to feel better. So that has been my solution for years, is food. And another thing growing up, it's funny because my mom ran our household by dad's words of what I hear today. That running tape, you know, that you're like, oh my God, it's so ingrained in me. It's like you have to desensitize yourself. You can't have feelings and, you know, you don't want to ask for help. And the strongest man is he who stands alone. All of these things. You know, therapy was a weakness. And weakness was abhorred. It wasn't just disliked. It was abhorred. So we were, I felt like this dancing puppet. Like, love me, love me, love me. And they would be like, yes, dear, yes, dear. But why can't you just lose the weight? It was like this big one thing that I could not do. I could do it for a short amount of time. But I, I just couldn't. So, you know, so I, I didn't grow up to be, you know, an emotional. That, that's not true. I mean, I was an emotional child that was be, being told, don't be emotional. It took me till I was 27 and my first therapist and even then, I would say, hold on a second, go to the bathroom, cry, and come back. So crying was not something that was, came naturally to me. You know, it was, it was just not something I should be doing. It's like in public. Eating was not something I felt safe to do in public, even in front of my family, because I got shamed for it. It was, you ate too much, you shouldn't eat that. Again, it was just like being in the spotlight. And, of course, my brother gets the chocolate. I get the apple. <laughs> okay, what's wrong with this picture here? My resentment started young. <laughs> my grandmother, you know, again, with the whole weight thing, at 16, you're going on a diet. We're paying for it, you're going on a commercial diet. So, again, the black and white, the yo-yo. From 16, I came into OA right before I turned 40, still going up and down. And, of course, the number always looks fantastic when you come down. It looks horrible going up and you think, I'm never going to get there. I'm not going to get 175. I'm not going to get to 200. I'm not going to get to 250. 
It just kept pushing. You know, I remember during one of my relapses, I had gotten up to 235, and my friend kept saying, what's it got to take? And I said, I don't know, but you asking me is not helping. Let's not focus on it. So, you know, the yo-yo dieting, the emotional eating recovery group, the 15 years of therapy off and on, the acupuncture, the allergy elimination diet, a self-help guru. I have shelves of spiritual books that have never been read. They look great on the, you know, in the bookstore. <laughs> and I'm like, the answer's in there. No, no, no. You know what? The answer, now I know why I eat. Oh, you know, no, you know what? This, this is the reason. This is the time. This, this time, it's going to work. And I have all this self-knowledge. How wonderful. It didn't help me stop. And I still would have told you, I'm, I, I'm fine. Here's another dirty four-letter F word. I'm fine. I am fine with a smile on my face and screaming inside. So all of these ways of trying to deal with my weight, trying to stuff down my feelings, because that's what I was doing. I didn't feel safe to feel. I didn't feel safe to express myself. So I kept stuffing down, stuffing down, anger, whatever. And I, you know, I remember when anger was so volatile for me. I, I couldn't sit with it. You know, sadness, you want to sit and you wallow and anger, it just bubbles up. And I remember getting these crunchy things. I was very about textures of food. Crunchy things and saying, I'm going to eat this and I hope you die. You know, like this, you know, let me take my, you know, my poison and hope it affects you one bit. But, it, you know, they have no idea. I have no idea because I couldn't speak up. I had a revolving door of friendships, any kind of conflict. I was out or they were out. And I still would have said to you, I'm fine. You know, one of my biggest character defects is, is people-pleasing. Like, I would always do what I think you want me to do, and I want to be your best friend and the best daughter and the best sister and the best this. And I would put everybody's needs ahead of mine because I just want you to love me. I just want, really, now let, let me take that back, and not just the love. I want you to tell me I'm okay. I want you to tell me that I'm all right in this world that I'm going to be taken care of no matter what, that I am loved no matter what. And growing up, my parents threw fabulous birthday parties. And it was the one time in the year that I could have that big slice of that cake with the, you know, the frosting I got to pick the color and, you know. And I wasn't yelled at. And it's so, you know, my parents would never change. I just turned 50 last year. My mother... Well, tell me about the cake she's ordering for a party. You know, well, it's a double-decker thing. And blah, 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 blah. I'm like, Ma, I'm not having any. <gasps> well, well, what do you mean? Why, you, you, you know, and giving me all this, you know, it's stuttering and everything about this cake. We had a 20-minute conversation about this cake that I will not have. And I don't care about the cake. I'm like, do what you want. And it turned out to be the wrong thing. I had to still call about it and say, oh, my God, the cake. <laughs> so, because um, I, I didn't know I was a sugar addict. It's my white powder. So, fast forward, I, um, my whole family's on the East Coast. And um, when I moved, my mother said, how could you do this to me? 
19 years I've been here, they're still waiting for me to come home. So um, they may have to continue waiting. Um, so I came to L.A. for a job that I got downsized from six weeks later. Got three months of severance, then got another job to that day. Got laid off again. I'm like, what is up with L.A.? And... Um, you know, the, the first job that I got laid off would set me on a seminar on self-employment. I had just worked 10 years at the government. Self-employment, hmm. Found out it took. What a compulsive overeater's dream. Uh, you know, just to roll out of bed and you know, my commute was a bed to the office and I, it didn't matter what I looked like. I could, you know, have curlers in my hair and no one would ever know. And, uh... Not that I need the, it's just all natural. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I'm a web developer, so I just needed to show up at the computer. And I didn't, you know, I just needed to have my head on, you know, and eyes on the computer during the day. And then I ate at night. Friday night, mmm, the Friday night food fest. And I couldn't be bothered. I had this leopard print recliner. I thought it was cute at the time. Um... <laughs> When I got rid of it, you know, I went, when I went through a fourth step, my home went through a fourth step. I literally just got rid of everything because I had, I had stuff in my body. I had stuff in my home. And it wasn't even mine. Every time I, the, my parents were world travelers, they would say, look at this knickknack. Put it in your home. Put it in your home. So I had their stuff in my home. It looked like the Hermitage Museum. <laughs> Covered it, you know, and I had 60 masks. I'm not kidding you. That really represented, you know, the way I want to live. And I remember my first sponsor, I'm jumping around a little bit, but he came over to my house and he was speechless. And I thought, oh, wow, he must really like it. <laughs> and he said to me later, he said, I didn't know what to tell you to throw out first. It was like he lit a match under me. And I literally, I had, I think it was, I don't know, 36 garbage. I have a two-bedroom apartment. 36 hefty garbage bags of stuff that I just got rid of. I got rid of it, and I didn't know. I sat, I remember sitting in an empty room with a little table and a chair, writing that fourth step, you know, screeching through that paper, because I would have told, I'm a people pleaser, right? I have a smile on my face. I'm fine. I'm not angry. <gasps> yeah, I was, I was filled with rage. Rage for not having spoken my voice so long and um, you know it was, it was quite an experience and I got to see who am I without all of that who am I without my family stuff who am I without my resentment my fears everything that filled me up and it's been a journey so coming you know into OA, I still thought I was fine. So I, the Friday night food fest is, I had this leopard print recliner, so that's what I was going with it. When I threw out all my stuff, I got rid of my furniture, and I sold things. Nobody wanted that recliner. <laughs> I had cat-ripped, cat-hair sofa that went before that recliner. <laughs> I put it out in the back alley in Beverly Hills. They had these huge alleys and big green trash bins. And I put it out and nobody would take it. I had to call the city. <laughs> Please take this chair. Put it out of its misery. Because I was so attached to that chair. 
I lived in it. So I couldn't walk from the chair to the kitchen. I would bring out all my food. It's like a food blanket. I would sit, eat, recline, sleep. Sit, eat, recline, sleep. Isolation to the mat. Oh, I'm sorry. TV. TV was allowed in. TV was my date with the remote. I'm fine. Totally fine. So I come into OA because I was in another self-help class, and my acupuncturist said, you know, was in an NA, and this one was a doctor in OA. I'm like, those are for people with real problems. I just have a little food problem. She said, well, you may want to try it out. It took me three weeks, and I actually came um, not to this meeting, to Santa Monica in the, the, um, well, before the cottage. They used to meet in the second floor. And... I had no exposure to 12-step program. And I remember thinking, what are these thin people doing here? Why are they holding hands? What with God? Why do they want my name? Why do they want my phone number? Back off, people. Don't get too close. Because I was trying to keep people at a distance through my weight, through my actions, and only attracted the more undesirables. So, and I, as I said you know, before, I am... Um, Came back because someone said hello to me after that first meeting. It was so important to me, looking back. And um, and I went back. And then I started hearing all these other people because I would tell you, but 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 you don't understand. I'm different. But I, no 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 no. I, I'm not like that. I'm not like you people. I'm not. I'm not. Looking for the differences instead of hearing the similarities. And then in the beginning, and I'll be honest with you, it was a social thing. And, hey, let's meet here. Let's meet at the meeting. We had, you know, a group of people that kind of came in in the same kind of college-level entry class. <laughs> I was a people pleaser. The first sponsor I got, I was like, let me please him and let me, I had a crush on him. Whatever it took, it kept me in. <laughs> it worked for me in the beginning. I needed the hand-holding because I was ready to run. And my sponsor at the time would call me and he would say, you can't run, you can't hide. And I'd be like, what a fucking freak. Like, what is he doing? What is, is this like a cult? And, um, and he lost his abstinence when I was 90 days. And I'm like, I don't care. Just keep sponsoring me. It doesn't matter. He said, you're more abstinent than I am. And so I had made him my higher power. So that was a, a bit of a problem. And uh, the next sponsor I got, she said to me, I'm not your mother, I'm not your therapist, I'm not your friend. I'm here to guide you through the, the steps, 12 steps, as outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and she taught me everything I knew about the big book. And I used to hate the big book. I'm like, why do I have to read it? I'm not an alcoholic. And I would blasphemize it in meetings and wonder why nobody would come up to me after the meeting to talk to me because I was just like, ah. So I was, so I was just dumping. And a long timer said to me once in the very beginning, we're not garbage. Don't dump on us. Bring a step or two in. Like, oh, my God. And, of course, so I'm capital D, dramatic, you know, drama, dramatic, denial, defiant, defensive. You name it, I was it. And I thought I had this, oh, you know, the girl that would cry all the time. And you know what's underneath all that? It's a pouty, sulky child that is upset because she didn't get her way. And was like tapping her foot and arms crossed and saying, I don't like that. No, no, I'm not going to do that. 
But here's the thing, and I would always be told this, and I hate when people say this, well, is your way working? <laughs> How's it going for you? How's it working for you? I'm like, screw you, you know. So, um, no, it's not working well, but it's my way. It's the only way I know. So the first year, so after I got that sponsor, we sat for an hour a week, and we read out loud in the big book. And then she would ask me, have you ever felt, acted, behaved, thought, all of these things around food? Crap. Yes. I cannot safely eat sweets. I say sweets because sugar, sugar-free, fruit juice, sweet and agave, I don't care how you sweeten it. The minute it hits my tongue, I was right with the world. And I remember my first sponsor said, yeah, that's what happened to me when I snort cocaine. <laughs> I'm like, oh. again, I'm like, dramatic. oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm a, you know, I didn't want to be an addict. I just want to have a little food problem that I can, you know, nip this in the bud. I cannot safely have one serving. I can have a box. I can have a bag. I can have a sheet. I cannot safely overeat. Feeling full makes me uncomfortable. And my solution for feeling uncomfortable is what? <laughs> eat. So I eat more and I'm feeling more uncomfortable. So I'm eating even more. And now, you know, I've got the allergy triggered and the obsession of the mind because I'm no longer here and I'm there. And I'm like, well, you know what? She, she saw me when I went to, you know, get that. So I got to go over here and get another one. How many flavors? Well, I, 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 I can't even complete a sentence. And I'm no longer here, even finishing what I'm eating. I am somewhere else plotting and planning. I am a very good, you know, plotter and planner and, you know, schemer when it comes to food. So, you know, this afternoon, because I have tried different, you know, our afternoon in the in OA's Brown book says we are to abstain from compulsive overeating. It's how we do it. It's different. For me, it's three meals, a snack, and no sweets. That is my bottom line. Yes, sometimes my meals are bigger. Sometimes they have a second. Sometimes I don't have a meal or I don't have a snack. But I see it as a net. Sometimes it bounces high. Sometimes I'm swinging low. But I'm still accident. I can, without a doubt, tell you I am accident. I'm not technically accident. I'm accident. That's about the only black and white thing I can tell you. The rest of it, I had to learn that 50 shades of gray. And what does it mean to eat in it? To live in it. Because what I found out in a way, hey, I know how to lose weight. Hey, all right, I don't like these feelings, but you know what? I'm beginning to discover that feelings like meals have a beginning, middle, and end. And then they come and they go. They don't always need to be dealt with. Sometimes I just need to just not engage and let them go and wash over me. Okay, I got that part. It took a little while because, you know, when I put down the food, oh, my God, all those suppressed feelings were coming out like I'm laughing in a sad movie and I'm crying at somebody, something funny. But it came out. 
But the spiritual thing, hmm, I had a problem with. Yes, I grew up in a Jewish household. My dad said, if God is everywhere to pray at home, he never prayed. <laughs> he didn't want to pay any money to any kind of synagogue, whatever. And it's not like I did not not believe in God. Sure, there's a God. But I, I think I believed in a punishing, self-martyr. I have to do all these things, make myself really small, so I'll get a little bit. So it's like a punishing kind of God. And what would God want to do with my food? Didn't make sense. And I am a very visceral, I can't, I got to see, hear, feel, taste, something for me to believe in, in, in that thing. And, um, you know, in, in step three, we turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. I didn't understand him. So how could I turn it over? So I did the steps to the best of my ability, but what happened was I was slipping. I didn't believe in God, right? You know, not, not to that extent. And um, my slips, okay, were not little, oh, let me have a little mm, a bite of something. It was five to eight pounds overnight that I would gain and lose. And I would get back on. I would get back on. I'm like, this is just a little slip. Let's keep going. Until I started cooking for my snack, and well, you know, that's no longer a snack. <laughs> and at 21 months, I had, I had lost my abstinence. And, you know, I didn't understand what a gift a day can be until I realized. It took me four years to get a one-year candle. I never left the rooms. I tried, you know, my sponsor at the time, the one with the big book, said, I don't have relapse experience. You may want to try somebody else. I got somebody who was really, you know, strict, and I thought, this is the answer, and she told me that I broke my abstinence, and I said, well, I don't think so, and we argued, and I said, you know what, you want to see me break my abstinence, I'm going to. Again, how well did that work? It didn't work so well. And then, you know, the third time, you know, I got someone else who said uh, she was cured, so I've seen her come in and out of these rooms since, that's great. And then I got a friend. I mean, I, I, I had tried because I kept thinking the sponsor's in the answer. That's the answer. Again, looking for the answer even in the rooms. And because I did the steps, I, you know, I did it, all of these things. But here's, here, you know, because people always ask me what's different this time because I've never had this long before. And I say, I have to deal with my stuff in the moment. When I come to a fork in the road, what am I going to do to prevent that fork from going into my mouth? <laughs> There's always that split-second choice for me. I never blindly, oh, my God, how did this, you know, get here? You know, hello, I picked up the food. But relapse for me always started in my mind. Western feelings, I don't need my sponsor, I don't like this meeting, I don't feel like writing, and it just kept piling up. By the time my hand reaches into the food, it's too late. It's way too late. And no one could tell me otherwise. I had to experience it for myself. My first sponsor turned out to be a really good friend of mine, and... Um, 
It's the only one because he was also AA. He said, I guess you're not done eating. I guess you have to eat. Because they talk about in the AA 12 and 12, you know, John Barleycorn, John Barleycorn becomes the best advocate. Thank you. Um, wow, that was fast. I kept thinking it could be a long time, and now I have 10 minutes. Anyway, I... This last relapse, I, you know, and every time I relapsed, I would go wait. Then I had to add my food. And then I was like, what do you mean the thin body's not the answer? I don't understand. I always thought that was the answer, and I'm still left with me. And um, this last relapse, I had gained 110 pounds in 11 months, 40 of it in one month. I can see now why people who go out after years of being clean they die with AOD because my body was clean but my head wasn't at 120 something I was eating like a 300 pound girl I thought paramedics would come and find my stomach literally split open my skin itched because my it couldn't grow fast enough that's the kind of eater I am that I can be and it woke me up and you know what so what today I had to act as if there was a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. So the first step is the powerlessness, and then I'm insane. I didn't want to be powerless, but oh my God, when I saw myself and doing this oil drilling, you know, from hand to mouth, and I can't stop. I can't stop. And I'm not of sound mind and body when it comes to food. Last night... I'll just share something. I, um, I've been doing different things, you know, trying new things, and I ended up volunteering for the breast cancer fundraiser. Of all the volunteer tasks they give me, what do you think they do? You are to monitor and refill the desserts table. <laughs> okay. There are decadent desserts. You know, and, and even with the toast, you know, I have a cupcake, and we're toasting with cupcake. <laughs> but you know what? It's not my food. And I can be of service to other people, even in that environment. People are asking me, well, what's in that? Did you make it? Did you bake it? Did you eat it? I'm like, no. But you don't need to know that, and it's okay. It's okay. So... I deal with things that they come up right, to the best of my ability. The pause is huge for me. The pause for me uh, agitated or disturbed. And I ask myself, can I do anything about this? If I can't, I say the serenity prayer and God, and here I am talking, God, help me. Help me let this go. So I had to act as if, and what's happening is I have this, this concept now. God, she is taller than me because I need to, when I turn things over, I need to hand it up. You take it. I've been having financial insecurity off and on over the year to the point of getting panic attacks. And I can't breathe. Well, I can't not not breathe. So I just literally will say, you need to take this. I can't handle this. And then, I believe it's true. Once I believe it, the panic goes away. I also take deep breaths because 
fear and deep breathing cannot coexist. And I'll force myself to really get my breath down in my stomach. So all of these tools, all of these steps are helping me today. I'm much more humbled. I, I used to, you know, I came in, I, you had to know, I have to know, I have to plan, I have to prepare. What if, what, if, what if that happened? What if that happened? I have to have a script. I would go to card readers and psychics to know so I can plan and prepare. And now I'm okay with the, I don't know, the greatest gift of freedom. I don't know. I don't know. I used to say I'm done. Oh, my God, I'm done, I'm done. This time I'm done, I'm done. I can't tell you I'm done just for today. I'm surprised I had 39 months. I, 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 you know, took me over with a feather, oh, my God. <laughs> the first day of accident, I um, was flying back east. And I had my stash under the seat, the seatbelt extender, the babies are crying, and I'm like, ah! And I just made a choice. It starts with one choice, one decision. And I ordered a sandwich, had three big meals. I was away. I went to meetings anonymously, came back, went to different meetings, took a service position, got a different sponsor. My sponsor now, big book. She has both sides, 100-pounder, anorexic, AA. Let's talk about your life. We're not here to talk about the food. Let's talk about your life problem. Let's talk about your people problem. Let's write, you turn it over, look at the character defect, burn it, shred it, move on. And, and it's not, you know, sometimes I'm surprised because I feel like I've gone through a lot of losses, a lot of ups and downs. And I just think, wow, I was able to do it absolutely. Things that I could have sworn and told you, oh my God, I can't move without it. Without my food. Where's my food? I don't want the food. I want the relief. So I need to find it in other ways. I need to pick something else up if I'm going to put that down. So one day at a time, truly. I don't know how much time. Four minutes. So how about we just open it up to some questions? Yes. Do you learn more by being a sponsor or being a sponsee? Oh, do I learn more about being a sponsor or a sponsee? Goes both ways. Whatever I say to my sponsees, I need to hear. And I better be practicing what the heck I preach. And I find it hard to watch my own recovery and milestone. And I love it when I see it in others. And I see the struggle, then they come out on top, and I'm like, yay, I'm, you know, the biggest cheerleader. I love it. Same thing with my sponsor. I may not always agree, and sometimes I don't want to call her, and sometimes I get downright annoyed. But it's because it's invoking something in me that needs to be looked at. So, both ways. Can you just talk about how you maintain your spiritual program? I would love to tell you I do 50,000 things every day. I'm sorry. The question was, can I talk about what I do for my spiritual um, daily maintenance of the program? Um, I talk to God all the time now. 
which is strange coming from someone who doesn't believe. And I wait and I listen. Because it talks about in the big book the great realities found deep within. And about the instinct that after a while the hunch will become the intuition that we listen to. I'll share, but ultimately, sometimes when I share too much, I can't listen to my own inner voice. So part of my getting quiet. I cut, you know, meditation, I have a chatty mind sometimes, so sometimes I'll go outside and sit and I get quiet. So I talk to God, I get quiet. I go through spurts of writing. It's not all the time. But I'm reading, I go to meetings, I'm always of service and being around people, even when I don't want to and I have to, I don't want it, and I want to stop my foot and say, oh, screw this. But my recovery depends upon it. And someone once said to me, don't let anyone come between you and, and your recovery, including yourself. So, some way of thing. Anybody else? Going once, going <laughs> twice. Yes. What, uh, what writing have you done? You talked about writing in spurts. Beyond the steps, what other writing have you done in this program? So the writing, what writing have I done in program other than the steps? Um, you know, I have done preform writing when something comes up and bothers me. And then I read it out loud. It's kind of like a four, five, six, and seven where I, I write, I turn it, you know, read out loud, turn it over. We go through character defect, it brings up. And then I, I don't keep anything because I don't want all that negative energy in my house. Usually when I'm writing, it's because I'm troubled. It's not generally because everything's going great. <laughs> I'm reaching for God because I'm not feeling whatever. I'm feeling uncomfortable. And then sometimes my sponsor will give me some guided writing. We'll write about something very specific. During my relapse, one of the World Service tools is this bin slipping and sliding, a reading and writing tool. It's 30 days of writing based on reading in the OA 12 and 12 and the OA Brown book. Very helpful. Very helpful. No matter how, even if it, I mean, in one year it took me a year to do 30 days of writing. Whatever. You know, I, I get it done. Thank you. Thank you.